The documentary Crip Camp tells the story of a 1970s gathering that spawned today's disability rights movement. And now the camp's being recreated virtually by the original participants. Plus, it's inspiring other online gatherings. I'm Jennifer Shveta-Jordan. This is a valid podcast. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Mary Fashik, founder of the hashtag Upgrade Accessibility Movement and Camp Access, which was inspired by Crip Camp. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Valid Podcasts analyst, Elisa Grishman is here too. Hi, Elisa. Hi, good to be here. So both of you are are fans of Crip Camp, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, But Mary, what is Camp Access? Camp Access is a virtual camp that was inspired by Crip Camp. Um, The idea is to unite the disabled and chronically ill community and kind of nurture me and foster those who want to grow in their advocacy as well. Great. And um, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and upgrade accessibility. My name is Mary Sashi. Um, I was born in Beirut, Lebanon. I was adopted at 10 months old. Um, I grew up in Miami. I have cerebral palsy. I was not diagnosed until the age of two with cerebral palsy. Um, I always knew from an early age that my destiny was to advocate. When I was seven years old, I looked at my mom and said, Mom, God put me on this earth to speak for others who can't speak for themselves. So I've always known from a young age what my destiny was. But it was up to me to overcome internalized ableism and the ableism I faced in the non-disabled community to understand that it was okay to raise my voice and talk about issues, accessibility issues, and to ask why. I have said time and time again, if you want to annoy someone who is not disabled, Ask them why. Ask them why are things why are things the way they are? Why is this okay? Why is your version of accessible okay when you don't truly understand what accessibility should be? Um a great accessibility began because one day I was in a local grocery store and I was in the accessible stall and my wheelchair was pushing up against the door and I barely had room to transfer. And I sat there and thought, this is what they consider accessibility. This is not accessible. We need to upgrade accessibility. So, uh, there's that word. There's yes, that phrase. Okay. Yes, that's where the hashtag was born, upgrade accessibility. Um, I posted a few examples of it, you know, over the summer of 2018, but 
it kind of fell to the wayside. Again, I was used to being told that it was no big deal, and you know, I'm making a big deal of nothing. But then in January of 2019, my access needs were not met, and I it caused me to be injured. Oh, what happened? Um, I can't go into too much detail, but I went to a restaurant with some friends, and I normally would transfer to a booth with no problem, and we were going to do that, but the host said that I had to leave my wheelchair around the corner and walk to the booth. Now, I have done that before in physical therapy, but the floor was wet. Oh. And I fell. And I injured myself. So it took me nine months to recover from that injury, well, multiple injuries. Um, so from that incident, I said, well, now is the time I need to take my anger and, you know, turn it into action. Mm. So I created the Instagram and the Facebook of Upgrade Accessibility, and we have Twitter as well. And I just began to post observances, you know, like observation of, you know, these ramps that were built 30 years ago that are no longer, you know, they're really outdated. And where I live, we don't have sidewalks. Mm. So if I go out, I have to walk in the street. Where do you live now? I live in Brunswick, Georgia. That is an hour north of Jacksonville and an hour south of Savannah. Okay. So we don't have sidewalks. So not only myself, but others in wheelchairs are walking in the street. Wow. And these are laws that were in the ADA will be 30 years old this year. Mm-hmm. And those laws are outdated. They're archaic. And there are too many loopholes. Mm-hmm. So my idea of yep. upgrading accessibility now means we are going to lobby for new legislature, for new laws, for better laws, ones that businesses cannot fight and cannot get around. I knew I liked you. <laughs> I knew I liked you. Elisa has been shaking her head here in affirmation from her home studio on the Zoom call. Um, Elisa, did you want to add anything to that? I mean, you've said it pretty succinctly. You know, there there are so many areas where it meets the original writing of the ADA, but that doesn't mean that it's fully accessible. You know, I've had issues with bathroom stalls as well, and I, I transfer fairly easily, but I've I've had quote-unquote accessible stalls that can barely fit my chair into because the kind of wheelchair I have didn't even exist when the ADA was passed. Mm-hmm. And so we need to rethink, you know, for these, you know, 
larger, heavier, you know, my chair's pretty heavy duty, you know, it tilts in every direction. And so the motor is huge and whatnot. So, you know, the ADA wasn't written for my kind of chair, for example. And there's all these new technologies. You know, we think of hearing loops for, for deaf people in, in halls and whatnot. You know, we need to, as you say, update accessibility. I'm, I'm fully behind what you're saying. Hey, I wonder if you two want to um, trade notes about the original Crip Camp. I know you've both watched the documentary, which is recently out on Netflix. Um, I haven't seen it yet, so if you want to fill me in. Spoiler alert, it's awesome. It's, uh, it's, um, it's something that everyone should watch. It is life-changing. Life-changing. Yes, not just for those who are disabled, but for everyone. It it's I I hate the I I hate the word inspiration a lot these days because the whole idea of inspiration porn and using you know for people unfamiliar with the term using disabled people as some single you know single faceted being to inspire you to do something but. I, you know, look it up, you'll find it. But like, that said, this is people like me doing awesome stuff. And I felt so inspired to, you know, keep fighting and keep being an activist. You know, I was so proud of my forebears and the people before me. And yeah, no, it was, I, I'm goosebumping so much right and now. So just, just quick synopsis, because while I haven't watched it, I've read about it and we've talked about it, um, that Crip Camp was a camp, an outdoor camp um, in the early 70s, like started by hippies who welcomed people with disabilities uh, to have fun together with, you know, with the hippies. <laughs> And, you know, there was a lot of sort of free love happening and, um, you know, baseball, different things. Um, and I, I understand that people felt really, um, well, you say inspired, but driven by that freedom that um, existed there. Crip Camp actually started in 1951. Oh, wow. Yes. As a five or a six? Five, 51. Okay. And as um, as the years went on, it kind of morphed into what we saw in the documentary. Um, in the seventies, those who were kind of hippies took over, and it became like a almost like a disability community Woodstock almost. <laughs> and you know, that's what it, it felt like. That's what, exactly, and um. And they began to have these conversations that nobody was having. Like, why are we not allowed to do this stuff? Why do we not have access to these things? And by fostering that conversation, that's where the disability movement started. And it drove you know, these activists, and then we it talks about the 504 and what they had to do to get 504 
sign. That's the Section 504. That's the U.S. Rehabilitation Act. Yes. Precursor to the ADA. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, the a lot of the people who were, uh, you know, some of the, the most outspoken people at Crip Camp talking about, you know, their their experiences and wanting you know social justice before social justice was really a term were the people who went on to be the backbone of the 504 movement you know half half of the time at camp judy human is there being judy human and for those of you unfamiliar with her I, she is a goddess uh and one of the biggest you know pillars of the disability rights movement and you have her there as a teenage camper you know I, it and then as you say she went on to um in california i believe it was yeah, california um i don't know if it was a sit-in uh it was they had sit-ins in multiple uh places around the country and most of them lasted at most you know 24 hours but the one in California lasted, I believe, 27 days. And they had, you know, major bands were coming in to entertain people there. The Black Panthers came in to feed people. Nurses came in to, like, wash people's hairs in the sinks. You had people sleeping on the ground and, you know, mattresses brought in and just, you know... It was one of the first times that disabled people were seen as having their own voice and that the empowerment that led to it really came from places like Crip Camp. And their own bodies too, right? Like the voice, but their whole selves. They yeah. have agency. It's incredible. Acknowledgement of that agency and ownership of it. Um, so Mary... Camp access began on April 27th. Is that right? Yes. How's it going? Um, it's going well. Um, we have 150 Cambridge counselors. Wow. Yes. Awesome. It's amazing. We are discussing things like um, disability and employment. We are discussing things such as ableism and the idea, like I said, is to begin to talk about the things that need change. And we have people from all over the world. We have people from England. We have people from Portugal and the United States. And we are seeing that our issues are not just here in the United States. They're similar in England and they're similar in Portugal. And we're coming together as a community and we're sharing ideas in a safe space. And that's the issue, is to have a space where you can freely talk and share your opinion and share your idea and not worry about anyone judging you based on your opinion or how you look or how you sound or any of your access needs. And it's just a wonderful experience. That's awesome. Are you are you able to inject some of that crazy fun spirit of camp? How do you do that? 
Um, we have weekly costume contest. <laughs> costume last, contest? Yes, last week we had best camp outfit <laughs> contest. This week we're doing a 70s theme. And next week we'll do 80s. And the week after we'll do 90s. Because um, Crip Camp, the documentary, spanned the three decades, I thought it would be good to do a costume contest from each of the three decades. And we're also going to have a virtual dance party and have like 70s and 80s music going. And we have a couple of guest speakers lined up. And we have things like makeup tutorials, oh. adaptive yoga. So we definitely keep it fun amidst all the advocacy talk. We're having some fun too. So how do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> um, sign up with clothes. Uh. I'm sorry, but for you, we will make an exception. She could totally be a guest speaker. Yes, absolutely. You will. You are more than welcome to be a guest speaker. You are more than welcome to come and sign up. You will be my special guest. Ah, ah, that would be lovely. I am honored. Here from a valid podcast. So, who won the contest last week? The best. Um, it was Sarah, and she was covered from head to toe. It was hysterical. It was kind of a COVID-19 camp outfit, you know, like, I mean, covered. What was she covered with? Um, it was like green spandex, and you couldn't see, like, her face at all, and she had fishing gear on, it was hilarious. Did you say green spangles? Or like spandex. Spandex. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You look like an alien. <laughs> I, I, I think Elisa would be wearing her cat as, as she's doing right now. Or her cat pajamas. I, you know, I do have cat pajamas for, for our listeners. My cat came over and started pawing at my arm for a good five minutes and I finally... She won. Isn't that a phrase, the cat's pajamas? Am I imagining that? Uh, it's the like, cat's meow. Cat's meow, okay. Um, so, uh, Mary, is this something you think you'll do again in the future? So, Absolutely. so you can attend Absolutely. the whole time. <laughs> yep. We're already planning next year. We're already planning on how to work out the kinks that we had this year. Um, make it a little better organized. And there's going to be a kind of a post-camp committee. Oh, nice. And what we're going to do is we're going to organize into committees by issue that we want to address as far as access and healthcare. Because what I want to do is figure out who lives where in order to contact their governor, their senator, and we started like a grassroots movement. So we are going to push for this new legislation a little bit at a time. 
this is a long-term project, and this is what the goal of camp was, to say, okay, now that we've had three exchange ideas, who would like to help put those ideas into practice and get things changed? It's, it's neat because it sounds like, and we've talked a, a little bit about this, uh, that COVID and, and other things have spawned this disability-led like online mutual aid mu movement. Certainly, we've seen that in Pittsburgh and uh, in other places as well. And, and it sounds like your uh, movement is really part of that. Um, yeah, it really is. It's something that, you know, I think now more than ever with COVID-19, we are seeing ableism being at the forefront. Ableism has always existed, but now it's on display. And it's not a nice display either. Not that Amen. ableism is never a nice display, but the amount of hatred and disregard that there is towards the disabled and chronically ill community is absolutely disgusting. And yes. we are not going to be quiet about it. No. How are you seeing that happen right now more than never? Um, the fact that those who are chronically ill and disabled are not being prioritized when it comes to medical needs. Um, if I have lung issues, if I had the virus and I was needing a ventilator, someone who was young and considered quote-unquote healthy would be prioritized over me because someone who does not know me assumes that you have no quality of life. Um. So you've written a little bit about this kind of thing for the Mighty publication. Um, I wonder if you could just uh, offer a synopsis of the piece you did recently about um, kind of dis disabled rights in the workplace and, and school settings. Um, in the piece I wrote for the Mighty, I made a point to say that things like Keller community and schooling online when those who were not disabled needed these services, they are now magically available. When those who are disabled ask for accommodation at work, they are denied. Sometimes they are fired for requesting these things. But now that the non-disabled community needs it, it's okay. Yeah. So why is it now magically okay? Why is it now if I went to the grocery store or restaurant, they will do curbside pickup. But if I call the restaurant six months ago and said, hi, I'm disabled, I'm picking up my order, could you bring it to my car, they would tell me, we don't do that. Mm, mm. I've, I've been continually so angry about exactly that. So, you know, 
all these people who are have been told for years and years there's no possible way that we could have you work from home and call into meetings online or things suddenly oh no we can do that for everyone and i'm so afraid too that we're going to forget as soon as this is over we're going to forget that those are things that we can do and go back to the way things were so i think it's so important that we have people like you and camps like yours to get people thinking about this and talking about this and learning to self-advocate so we don't slip back so you know mazel tov cheers thank you for doing that um i think unfortunately i think we are going to slip back into that in some way um i actually had a telehealth appointment this morning and when they were scheduling my follow-up appointment for June, I asked, how long do you think these telehealth appointments will be available? And they said, well, we think they'll be available till the end of the year. Mm. Great. That's great for me right now. What happens in January when, you know, it's flu season and I really should go out again. And I say, well, I can't make my appointment. Can we do a telehealth appointment? And they denied me access to a doctor because of something that is out of my control. Well, Mary, thank you so much for joining us on a valid podcast. And I hope you'll come back. Thank Another you so time. much. I had a wonderful time. I would love to come back. And, um, you are our first guest from Georgia. So we are so excited um, to, what is Georgia? What kind of state? It's not the Sunshine State. What do you have there? We have peaches. The pecan state. Yeah. I have been baking with pecans a lot. So I appreciate all that your state does. Well, see, I love, I love peaches. So I think yeah. of Georgia. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I've been here for 15 years and I still don't consider this home. So I'm more of a Florida girl sometimes work down there. So, you know, but I'm happy to represent the state and represent in a good way this time and not the way Georgia is usually represented. I'm sorry, did I misunderstand you? Did you say it's known for peaches or pecans? Yeah. Peaches. It's both, right, though? Yeah, it's pecans. both. It's yeah, both. I... Yeah. Sorry. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Elisa, thank you, too, for being part of the conversation, as always. I'm always glad to be here and to talk with you wonderful people. From here in Pittsburgh, home of, uh, I don't know what, coal, steel, and Quaker State. Pierogies. Oh. You got to do food. It's pierogies. Okay. That's right. I went to the industrial on a gray day. Yeah. No, pierogies. And permanis. That's our sandwich with a lot of french fries on it. French fries and coleslaw on a sandwich. Yes. God, I love this city. Better. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye, Mary. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. This podcast was produced in partnership with the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University.